says, but the manifestation, <clears throat> excuse me, of the spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same spirit works all these things distributing to each one individually as he wills. And Father, we humbly ask for the grace and the power of your Holy Spirit in this time as we continue now to worship. We want to worship in spirit and truth as you told us to, Lord. So we ask now as we continue in our worship that the power and ministry of your spirit would help us understand the truth of the word of God as we study it together. Speak to us now, Lord. We ask expectantly in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, I don't know if perhaps you saw it, one of the larger Christian news websites. It was actually right on the homepage, such a big article, it made it there. It said this, the title of the article, 78-year-old grandmother deadlifts nearly 400 pounds with the help of the Holy Spirit. And when you read the article, she said, I say, Holy Spirit, fall on me, and I just do it, and I come up. Now, I don't know about you. I'm impressed that maybe a 78-year-old grandmother is pretty into CrossFit. But I tell you, kind of a little bit disappointed when that's the kind of press that we read about on a major Christian website about what the Spirit of God is apparently doing among the people of God, helping a 78-year-old woman to be able to deadlift 400 pounds rather than souls being led to Christ or the church experiencing revival or all of the many wonderful things we would hope and wish to see the Spirit of God doing. Look, the Spirit of God is wanting to work amongst the lives of God's people to bless and to help. In fact, the Bible even cautions that we're not to allow our mindset or the condition of our hearts, or things that we do or don't do as God's people to grieve the Holy Spirit, to quench the Holy Spirit, or to resist the Holy Spirit. That is to restrict the work of the Spirit of God, that we would become guilty as God's people to actually hinder in some way the Holy Spirit's power operating in and through our lives. Yet God also wants us, as we saw last time in our study together, to be properly informed and not ignorant regarding how spiritual experiences do operate, that we would be open to the power and ministry of the Holy Spirit, but that we also would be biblically informed what God's word declares about such and how God describes it and how these experiences are supposed to be happening, particularly regarding genuine spiritual experiences. And I emphasize genuine spiritual experiences particularly in how they operate through the spiritual gifts, which we'll begin to look at in more detail this morning. Again, last time we said chapters 12 through 14 address this matter. And today's verses that we're looking at now begin to identify some of these manifestations or these grace gifts that are imparted by the Holy Spirit's ministry working through the lives of of God's people. And we began last time looking at kind of an introduction of these things. We left off in verse 7 at the end of our study, but I want to draw our attention back to it as it continues on into verse 8, where Paul said, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. And we said last time that word manifestation speaks of some action that makes something already present more evident. In other words, it's already there, but some action makes it more evident or just more obvious by a display. In fact, the idea there may be, you could almost read verse 7, the displaying of the Holy Spirit's power or the expression or demonstration of the Spirit. Again, the Holy Spirit is always present in the lives of God's people. He is always at work among the lives of God's people, but yet there are times when the Holy Spirit manifests or displays his power 
or his presence or his love, maybe in a stronger or greater way, just to kind of further indicate his presence, to further identify that he is at work in some way whereby we see him at work in a more obvious way and sense that clearly. And Paul says that when this happens, it's not to impress other Christians. It's not that everybody in the meeting would go, wow, that guy's spiritual. Wow, did you see what she say or did? She's really spiritual. But instead, it would be a manifestation of the Spirit's power. Why? For the profit of all. That is, it does something to impart something good and beneficial to help the church in some way spiritually, to build up believers. Now, at this point, Paul begins in verse 8 to list some of these gifts of the Holy Spirit in how he manifests himself in power through the lives of God's people. He begins in verse 8 saying, For to one is given, he says, the word of wisdom through the Spirit. Now you're going to notice this language as we go through this. Is given through or by the Spirit. And we'll touch on this when we get to verse 11, but I just want to say on the front side as well, notice these displays of the Holy Spirit's power are given. There's something that are given by or through the Spirit working through Christians. We are simply the instruments that the Holy Spirit chooses to use at his determination at times to reveal his power at work or to manifest that he is doing something. In other words, the Holy Spirit sees the need for help among God's people. He then determines what is the most important gift at that moment to assist maybe in a particular situation or what's the most important gift to be in operation at that moment in a meeting or a gathering of God's people. And then he determines what gift is important and then decides even which individual vessel or person that he's going to choose to display his power through as he works that gift through that individual's life by his determination and choice. Again, What I want you to understand, and again, this is my personal conviction. You're free to disagree here regarding it. I don't personally see these gifts here described in 1 Corinthians 12 as something that we as Christians possess or have control over. In other words, things that somehow they're like a superpower that the Holy Spirit gives to you. And at your will and determination, you can just give a word of wisdom. You can just heal anybody you want. I I don't see that. What I see is that the Holy Spirit is under the control of these things. And when he chooses to manifest or reveal his power, he determines in that moment, hey, I'm going to use Chico in this situation. I'm going to use Paul in this situation. I'm going to use Trish in this situation. And he determines and displays that power through different individuals as he wills and wishes according to what he thinks is best in that moment, rather than us, per se, being in control of these supernatural manifestations. So he says these gifts are given, notice, to each one. He can use anybody for the profit of all. And to one, he begins to describe, may be given, he says, the word of wisdom through the Spirit. Now, the word of wisdom is not just a person who possesses a lot of wisdom because maybe they've been walking with God for a long time or they know the Bible really well. And some who have walked with God a long time and know the scriptures well, are great sources to give wisdom to people. Uh, And they can offer wonderful counsel and they possess a lot of godly wisdom. But that's not the operation of the gift of giving a word of wisdom. The word of wisdom is a spiritual gift or manifestation is when the Holy Spirit gives an impartation of supernatural wisdom in a given moment whereby the thought supplied by the Spirit of God has such incredible wisdom, it becomes an answer to or a solution for a specific situation that's at hand. Whereby the Holy Spirit, seeing the need for help, gives God's wise idea for guidance or direction in that matter that may be at hand at the moment. Whereby when the word comes forth of the wisdom that God gives through a person, the the response is, that's it. Wow, that's a really great idea. That's exactly the solution that we needed for this situation. And it's where an all-wise God supplies his wisdom in a supernatural way so that a person can speak God's wisdom with divine insight into a particular situation or circumstance. For example, maybe to resolve a conflict by offering a solution that's very wise. And then all of a sudden, wow, there it is. That's the answer. 
That's the resolution we needed. Or maybe dealing with a difficult issue and how to navigate it. Or maybe it's giving practical advice, guidance, how to approach something. We're defending against error and refuting and disabling something that would otherwise be troublesome. One man said, this is the unique spiritual ability to speak forth the wisdom of God, especially in an important situation when it is really needed. In other words, it's not some idea or plan you already knew before the need actually arose in the moment for it. Instead, what it is, it's an anointing of the Holy Spirit that comes upon a person's life in a time of need to speak a wise word of enlightenment that helps and benefits those who are present. And when it happens, everybody is often calmed and they feel a sense of relief and confidence. Great, God has given to us wisdom and it kind of a lot of times can diffuse tension. It can bring resolution. It's sort of a timely word that becomes acceptable to all participants. So for example, we see this in operation, I believe throughout the word of God. I think of the occasion where Solomon, remember the two mothers came to him one time and they said to Solomon, this is my baby. And the other mother said, this is my baby. And there was a dispute whose baby it was. And then all of a sudden, Solomon offers this thought of insight. And he says, okay, here's what we're going to do. Divide the child in half. Give half of the child to that mother who claims she's the mom. Give the other half of the child to that mother who claims she's the mom. And everyone probably seemed aghast at the first statement of that. But it was at that moment, remember, that one of the mothers spoke up and said, no, no, don't kill the baby. Keep the baby alive, give it to her. And Solomon said, there's the true mother. Right there's the true mother. Resolve the situation, incredible wisdom to bring a resolution to a conflict. I think of in the New Testament, when the problem arose in the early church among the distribution of food and the widow program, and there was disputing between the Greeks and the Jews over taking care of their widows. And all of a sudden it tells us they got together and they prayed. And then the resolution came about in Acts chapter six. Remember they said, look, here's what we ought to do. Appoint seven men who are full of wisdom and full of the Holy Spirit. And let's let them tend to the business full time of the distribution of food to the widows and we'll continue to give ourselves to the word of God in prayer. And it brought a resolution to a church problem. There was a situation, the church was growing, people were feeling they were overlooked. Again, that's a good problem when you have growth problems and it creates problems. And again, the answer came, perfect resolution. That was a really wise idea, let's do that. I think of Acts chapter 15, where there's dispute between how people were, potentially going to be saved and they were saying look the gentiles need to first become jews before they can become christians and they were going back and forth and sharing and then all of a sudden james speaks up and he says look let's not lay burdens on them worse than what god has laid upon us let's just give the gentile people a few criteria to observe out of respect for their jewish brothers and sisters and it says that when james spoke it pleased everyone. Now, when you have a church issue and somebody speaks and it pleases everybody, you know that's from God, right? It was a word of wisdom. God gave him a wise solution. Everybody was content with it. And it was that word of wisdom and operation. So when this gift is an operation, it kind of just flows forth, I believe, as we speak very naturally. Maybe it's in the midst of a conversation. It could be in a in the midst of a meeting or a, a counseling scenario where you're talking to someone that needs direction, or maybe you're trying to help resolve a problem between two people or a group of people, and the Lord just operates by imparting wisdom in a supernatural way where it just brings that answer that's needed. It gives that solution. And look, it doesn't mean that your voice has to change. It doesn't mean you have to change your disposition. Wait a minute. I, I, I think I'm, I'm receiving a word of wisdom. You don't have to get weird. You just speak what God's put on your heart. It happens in a very supernaturally natural way. God just imparts wisdom and you speak forth that wisdom. And because it's the wisdom of God, it's just a very evident thing. And it becomes something that's helpful. Again, God often works in very supernaturally natural ways. I think experientially in my own life of various times, I have seen this gift in operation and typically it's not even recognized that it's going on, but that's the good thing because then nobody gets credit and God just gets glorified. Again, I've seen it in operation in counseling situations, a conversation. I believe it happens in the midst of the teaching of the word of God or when a question can be answered. I've seen it at work in a leadership meeting 
where you're wrestling through something and praying over something, and then just somebody offers a word, and you're thinking, well, that, man. And I realized after that was a word of wisdom. It just came from the Lord, and it's the right answer to a situation. He then goes on, verse 8, to mention a secondary work of the Spirit or gift. He says, and to another is given the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. So the word of knowledge could be defined as a supernatural revelation of knowledge whereby God gives insight about a person or about a situation. In other words, it's God giving insight to something that you could not know and that you did not know unless God disclosed the truth of it to you. It's something that you could not have otherwise known in any other way and you did not know, but God, who the Bible says what? First John 3.20, God knows all things. Right? God knows everything about everyone and what everyone's doing, which means that God knows our thoughts, our actions, our desires, our motives. God knows our intentions. God knows what our purposes are. God knows what we're involved in. God knows what we have done, what we're doing right now, and God knows what's going on in every single situation. God knows all things. And so therefore, God who knows all things, if he chooses to, can reveal supernaturally by his spirit that knowledge to another person. He can choose to share that. In a sense, God brings a person, we could say, into the know on something. God who knows everything looks and he says, in this situation, it is important that it be made known what's going on in that person's life or that it be made known what's happening in that situation. So God imparts knowledge or awareness about something that he knows for an important purpose. Jesus said to Peter, flesh and blood hath not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Again, spiritual revelation about something Peter would not have known otherwise. Again, general expressions of this gift at work many times involve things like a warning about error, maybe error that we're about to enter into and God sees it and so he identifies it to us or someone else is headed into error and God gives a word of knowledge to caution someone. Maybe it's insight into a person's true intentions and you can't see that on the surface, but God knows their true intentions. So God gives a word of knowledge to reveal someone's true intentions or condition of their heart. Maybe it's to reveal a covered sin or some sinful activity that's going on and God exposes it for the benefit of those who are involved in it. Or maybe it's insight about something that we just need to know that would help us in some way. And so God gives us knowledge of it ahead of time. Again, it's a divine enabling where God grants insight about something we could not have known. Again, it often happens, I believe, very naturally. And many times when this gift is in operation, a lot of times it sort of happens as sort of an impression that comes upon the heart or the mind. And I can tell you this, I think sometimes when the word of knowledge takes place, it's almost a struggle in the humanity to wonder, am I having a bizarre imagination? Am, am I having a critical imagination? Like, why would I be thinking that? I mean, why, did I, why do I feel like that that's going? And again, it could be that God's giving a word of knowledge, and in the humanity, we struggle. Why would I be having those thoughts? Jeremiah 11, 18, speaking of how the Lord revealed something to him on one occasion, listen to what Jeremiah said. He said, now the Lord gave me knowledge of it, and I know it, for you showed me what they were doing. There's the idea there. God, you showed me what was going on. Again, we see biblical examples of this gifted work. I think of Elijah in the Old Testament, Second Kings chapter 5, when he healed Naaman. And then Naaman wanted to pay him for the healing afterwards. And Elijah said, I don't want your money. That's God's gift. It was, it was an act of God's grace. And so he sends Naaman away. And then afterwards, remember, Gehazi, Elisha's helper or servant, sneaks away and chases down Naaman and says, hey, actually, you know, we had some guys show up. We could use a little financial assistance. And then he takes some money from Naaman afterwards. And then when he comes back home, to Elisha's house, having snuck off and went and got some money for the work of the Lord, Elisha says to him, did not my heart go with you in your greed when you, and, and, and he just calls him out on it. Now, he didn't know that happened. He didn't send a private investigator out after him. God revealed it to him. 
God showed Elisha what was going on. Again, in chapter six of Second Kings, I love the story there where Elisha kept giving away the enemy's location in military operations. So much to the point where the opposing army was thinking they had a spy among their camp because every time they showed up, they were there ready for them in advance. Who is going on? We need to flush out the spy. And then finally somebody said, look, there's not a spy. The God of Israel keeps telling Elisha what we're doing. Would that be helpful? Imagine that. Maybe we need more Christians in the military to be able to hear a knowledge word from God and be able to do something to protect God's people and to protect those in the midst of conflict. Again, this incredible thing where God would know exactly what they're doing and he would reveal it. In the New Testament, I think of the story of Acts chapter five, where Peter, remember, dealing with Ananias and Sapphira, and it says lots of God's people were bringing gracious contributions. They were trying to share and help one another. And in the midst of that going on, it seems Ananias and Sapphira wanted to be perceived as spiritual. So they sold off their land and they brought what they were portraying was all the proceeds of their entire real estate transaction because they wanted to look deeply spiritual and generous like everybody else. When the reality was they were holding some of it back and pretending hypocritically like they were giving it all to the Lord. And remember what happens? Peter calls them out and he says, why would you lie to the Holy Spirit? And he basically rebukes them right on the spot for their hypocrisy and pretending to be spiritual and doing something in a deceitful way, acting like one thing was true when the total opposite was the case. How did Peter know that? Did, Did Peter send out spies and say, hey, keep a good eye on all the Christians so when the meetings happen, I can call people out and identify their sins? Of course not. It was the word of knowledge. The Lord gave that word of knowledge to Peter in that given situation. Again, practically, when this gift is an operation, a lot of times it can happen in many ways. I think it's one of the gifts that from time to time can be exercised in a very natural way through just the teaching of the word of God in the midst of a, a Bible study or a sermon. Whereas the word of God is simply being taught and the Holy Spirit is operating the gift of teaching in that way, maybe a hypothetical illustration or an application is used and it's a perfect spot on description of what's going on in somebody's life to the point where, you know, somebody will say after, did my wife call you and tell you, I mean, did she, how did you know that? Well, I didn't, I was just using a hypothetical illustration, <laughs> but apparently God knew what you were doing and, and God identified it and, and brought it to your attention. And, and I think the word of knowledge can work in this way where God wants to, Hey, I'm aware And God will just put his finger on something and identify it. And it just happens even in the midst of just a a Bible study being taught from time to time. Or maybe something is said in the midst of a conversation and somebody has no clue what they're saying. It's perfectly identifying something that's going on in somebody's life. And it kind of brings that awareness that, wow, God knows what's going on in my life. And God kind of identifies. And I think, again, sometimes this is just a strong impression that comes on your heart where you sense the Lord showing you something and you recognize maybe God's showing you what's happening or what's going to happen. Now, unfortunately, let me just say, I think there are abuses and misuses of those who at times want to kind of pass off that they're having a word of knowledge. So for example, I've been a part of meetings before where somebody will say something like, the Lord has spoken to me tonight And X many people, five people, God's put it on your heart, you're going to give $1,000. Wait wait a minute. If the Bible that I read, Jesus said, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. So why would God want to identify people so they can get applause? Oh, here's very generous. We're up to four. Where's that fifth one? Where's that fifth one? Don't you want the applause? To me, that's a misuse of portraying it's a word of... or, Or this, the Lord's... You know, impressing upon my, there are those of you out there, you have a headache right now. Well, if you have more than two people in a given situation, it's very likely that one or two may have a headache. That's a generalization. This is a specific revelation for a needed purpose where God identifies something that could not otherwise be known in a way that it helps in some way. Again, why would give Why would God give a person insight or private knowledge about something? Well, think about it. To pray for somebody. Maybe it's to intercessory prayer for that person because God says something's going on. 
You need to intercede for them. Pray for them. Or maybe it's protection from someone because they're not healthy or protection for them to warn them if they're headed in the wrong direction. Hey, God's shown me what's going on and I want to caution you, bro. Please stop. Stop. Or you need to deal with this. Or you need to tell your spouse what's going on. God may reveal something for that purpose. Maybe it's to just encourage or to exhort someone or provide help for them. And sometimes it's just a powerful manifestation of God's reality because sometimes that's what it takes to make somebody realize God is aware of what's going on in your life. And sometimes that word of knowledge comes forth. It helps the person to see that. Paul goes on, verse 9, to then say to another, faith is given by the same spirit, and to another, gifts of healings by the same spirit. Verse 10, and to another, the working of miracles. Now, I read these three together because I think these three gifts of the Spirit interface very well together. In fact, oftentimes they will, not always, but often, function in combination with one another, operating at the same time simultaneously. You see this pattern, I believe, in the Word of God many times. The first thing he mentions in verse 9, it's another faith by the same Spirit. Now, what is faith? Faith is confidence, trust, or belief that something is not only true— but that God will bring it to pass. And so the Bible tells us everyone has the capacity to exercise faith. That's why we're saved by faith. The one thing we all have the universal capacity to do is to choose to believe something. And so God tells us, okay, that is the means whereby people will be saved by grace and through faith, through their willingness to believe and trust in the finished work of what Jesus Christ has accomplished for them as a sinful and needy person. We might call that saving faith. And then after you become a Christian, you and I walk in and operate what we might call continuing faith. That is, you continue to trust the Lord, right? To work in your life. You trust him for his promises. You continue to believe him to work in situations. That's continuing faith. But then there is another kind of faith described here as a gift or manifestation of the spirit that is called the gift of faith, of, as, as a manifestation of the Spirit. We might, in a sense, quantify this as wonder-working faith. And let me explain what I mean by that. As it's described here as one of the manifestations of the Spirit, one of the gifts of the Spirit, the gift of faith basically refers to a spontaneous, supernatural occasion where the Holy Spirit gives a person a unique, special measure of faith or confidence in their heart to believe that God wants to do something and God will do it regardless of any obstacle. So it's a divine impartation where someone experiences a greater degree of faith to believe God to do something. Now, again, this is not someone who just tends to have great faith. And there are people, just like people who have wisdom, some people really have a lot of faith. My wife has way more faith than I do. If you want somebody to pray for you, have her pray for you. God likes her and answers way more of her prayers than mine. Some people just have an inclination to really believe and trust the Lord. And so this isn't just somebody who tends to have more faith. This is an actual gifting and operation of the Spirit where in a given situation, the Spirit imparts extraordinary confidence into your heart that God is going to do something remarkable. That God is going to do something powerful. It's the spirit-given ability, one man said, to see something God once done and then the unwavering confidence that God will do it regardless of any obstacles. So it's a deep certainty that God's power and provision is going to perform whatever may be necessary. I guess one way to say it would be it's not believing God can do something. It's believing God will do something. And so it's this supernatural impartation. Again, we see this as well in Scripture. Elijah operating in this gift. First Kings chapter 17. Remember, Elijah went before King Ahab, the wicked king, and he said, as the Lord God of Israel lives, at my word, it's not going to have dew or rain for the next three years. And God did it. You imagine that? A weathercaster can't get it right sometimes one day to the next. Elijah said, for three years, I'm telling you, it's never going to rain. And God did it. He was operating the gift of faith. 
we read as well in the book of Daniel, I think of chapter three, where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were threatened to be thrown into the fiery furnace. And they were willing to be thrown into the fiery furnace. And they said, look, either our God will deliver us. And if he doesn't, throw us into that fiery furnace. And somehow God will act and God will intervene. And what happened? They got thrown into a fiery furnace. And it says one appeared like the son of God, a fourth person. They never got burnt. They were thrown into a fiery furnace and they didn't die. They didn't even smell like smoke when they came out. They believed God would supernaturally protect them, and God honored. God gave them a supernatural confidence in the midst of the threat of the death of their lives for being followers of God. I think of Peter in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 14. They're in the storm. Jesus walks out on the water, and as he walks out on the water, Peter says to him, Lord, if that's you, command me to come to you on the water. Jesus says, come. Now, what does Peter do? He steps out of the boat And he walks on water. Peter was experiencing, I believe, the gift of faith, the the impartation supernaturally of confidence that when he stepped out of that boat, that somehow God was going to make the water solid under his feet and he wasn't going to sink. And God did it. God did a miracle. But again, it was that supernatural confidence in that given situation to believe that God was going to work. Acts chapter 3. Peter and John are on the way up to the temple at the hour of prayer. The man asks for alms. They say, silver and gold we don't have, but what we do have, we give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now, that's a strong claim. But then what does Peter do? Then he grabs a crippled guy and he lifts him up. Now, that's a pretty bold step of confidence. If you don't have supernatural faith going on your heart, because if you're wrong, you're going to drop a crippled guy on the ground in front of everybody. And that's not going to look good for God's testimony. You understand? But the gift of faith, Peter believed, I'm going to lift this guy up because I believe that God's going to heal him in this moment. And again, this was that supernatural impartation of an inner conviction, confidence God's going to work. And there are certain times when the Holy Spirit can give us faith to do something that we may not ordinarily have the faith to believe God is going to do. And let me just say, in those instances, yield to God and walk in that supernatural confidence if the Holy Spirit is doing this and see the power of God work in a given situation. On the other side of that, let me say this. If God does not give you supernatural confidence to do something, don't be presumptuous. And sometimes God may give you supernatural confidence to do something one time, and then another time he doesn't. I think a story Pastor Chuck told many years ago where he was ministering somewhere for a few nights and they brought somebody up to him one night in a wheelchair and Chuck began to pray for him. He knew that's why they brought him forward. He began to pray for him. And after he was done praying for him, he strongly sensed the Lord say, lift him out of the chair. And he said, I started wrestling at first, but then I just believed what God was telling me was true. And he said, so I just grabbed him. And I lift him out of the chair. And he said, the family started crying. And they said, he has a cold. We were just bringing him forward to pray for his cold. And, 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 and God wanted to heal him. And Chuck had a supernatural. Now, of course, what do you think happened after that? Lots of people started bringing sick people to those meetings the next few nights. And the whole rest of the time, as Chuck prayed for other people, he never did that again. And his son asked him afterwards, Dad, I don't understand. Why would you not lift other people? I would? Why would? And he said, because God gave me the faith that night. He didn't give me the faith the rest of the week to do it. And so when God gave me the faith, it was the spirit working, but I wasn't going to presumptively try and do something in the flesh when God wasn't giving me the supernatural confidence for it. Again, there's the the importance of that, understanding how these gifts operate. He speaks as well, and again, in conjunction to the word of faith or, or the gift of faith in verse nine here, that there are also to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit. So notice, and let me say, I do believe firmly that God has the power to heal whenever he sees fit to do such. God reveals himself all throughout the scripture as a God who heals sickness and disease. One of the main aspects of Jesus's ministry was what? Healing people, touching people, opening the eyes of the blind, helping the lame to walk. I don't believe that God has restricted himself to one generation of history or to one generation of even the church to heal people and another generation not to heal people and not to show his power. 
I don't believe that the gifts of the Spirit have ceased. I believe that all of the gifts of the Spirit are still in operation and are just as valid and necessary for today. However, I also understand and accept in biblical balance that God does not heal everybody on earth right now. And he in his sovereignty has full discretion and why God heals some people on earth and then other people he does not heal, I do not know. And only heaven will help us to understand. However, let's look at what is described as a genuine manifestation of the spirit at work. It says, verse 9, to another gifts of healings by the same spirit. Now, note with me here, gifts of healings, both words in the plural. I think that is important. It does not say God gives the gift, singular, of being a healer, singular. As if some person would be able to manage the stewardship to have the power to personally possess and use at will their divine superpower, if you would, to be a healer. To be able to just at will line up people, go down a line, however you want to do it, and use that unique healing superpower God gave them to just heal anybody at any time because they are a healer. Look, if that were so, let me just ask logically, if that were so, why are we not clearing hospitals? Why are people like that not going to children's hospitals? And taking away broken hearts from parents. If you have the gift to heal people whenever you want to. Why would you fill up a stadium. And charge people money. And act like a celebrity. And heal maybe a few people on a stage. And then leave other people who came there begging and wishing God would heal them. And they go home still not healed. If anybody could just have a gift of being a healer. I have a very difficult time believing that God could actually entrust a person to have the ability to just heal anybody at will whenever they want to. Nor, let me say, do I see biblical substantiation for that? Look at Paul the Apostle. In the book of Acts, it was clear that Paul operated at times in this gift of healing, right? We see Paul being used by the Holy Spirit at times to bring healing to people's lives. However, Paul could not always heal all people. Paul couldn't heal himself. Second Corinthians 12. Paul says, I had a thorn in the flesh, an affliction. I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. And the Lord didn't take away Paul's physical infirmity. He said, Paul, my grace will be sufficient for you. Why would Paul not heal himself if he could heal whenever he wanted to? Paul told Timothy, his protege, one of his most important, valuable assistants. Timothy, use a little wine for your stomach infirmity's sake. The idea is medicinally, use a little wine to kill some of the bacterial problems. Again, why would he not heal his most precious assistant in the work of the Lord? Paul says of Trophimus, we left Trophimus in Miletus sick. Paul prayed for him. They asked for God to heal. For whatever reason, God didn't heal. Again, it's important in balance to understand how these things do and don't operate. So what are then gifts, plural, of healings? Well, to me, the obvious indication is I believe there are special times and occasions when the Holy Spirit chooses to manifest his power to give a healing or healings among the people of God as a gift to the church. Where from time to time, there will be healings among God's people. There will be occasions when a healing happens among God's people, and this is a gracious gift of God. God disperses a gift of healing. So there will be from time to time gifts given by the Holy Spirit of healings among the people of God for his glory and his purposes. But they're unplanned and unpredictable and unexplainable. It's a supernatural prompting to confidently pray, I believe, and perhaps even touch a person with disease and sickness or maybe disability or a handicap. And the Lord miraculously removes and heals and restores and we see many instances of this in both Old and New Testament. I think they're very obvious. We even referred to one of them earlier where Peter raised up the crippled man in Acts chapter 3. I believe many times this gift operates most often through confident believing prayer of those who trust that God moves in power and are willing to be open 
to pray for people and see if God may want to miraculously heal. The third gift he mentions in verse 10 there, which I think couples with these again, is he says, to another, the working of miracles, again, by the Spirit of God. Again, notice, not a miracle worker, the working of miracles. And what is a miracle by definition? It's a supernatural intrusion into the natural world or natural laws that's explainable only by divine intervention. So it's when God acts in a way by his power to override the laws of nature, and it could only be accomplished by God who created things overriding natural law by his miraculous power to do something greater. So the working of miracles, again, would be that momentary empowering of the spirit to perform either, let's say, the casting out of a demon or to do some miraculous exercise of power over the natural elements. And again, I don't think when you read the scripture, it really takes a lot of clarification to tell when that gift is operating in the word of God. You think of Moses bringing the plagues as the spirit of God worked through his life. I think of Joshua chapter 10 when Joshua prayed and the sun stood still miraculously. I think of Elisha with the continuous flow of the oil in the jars. They kept pouring out and pouring it out and God kept miraculously providing more and more. It was a miracle of provision as God continued to do that. Later on, he raises a child from the dead. I think of the axe head that floated up to the top of the water because of a miracle that God did through the work of Elisha in that moment. You see the casting out of demons in the book of Acts. You see as well, Peter in Acts chapter nine, raising Dorcas, a woman that says back from the dead, a miracle. And again, God at times will use a miracle to authenticate his power or to confirm his word. And at his discretion, the spirit of God may bring forth this manifestation of power from time to time. He goes on, verse 10, to say to another prophecy and then to another the discerning of spirits. And again, I believe these two often work in conjunction together many times. Prophecy is basically God speaking to humanity through the words of a human vessel. It's spirit-inspired speech where God speaks a message. Second uh, Samuel 23, David said there, the spirit of the Lord spoke by me and his word was on my tongue. So prophecy is words spoken under the influence or direction of the spirit as the spirit gives the words and guides the words that a person uses. And I don't necessarily believe Paul here is talking about the office of being a prophet, which Ephesians 4 describes, and we see in the Old and the New Testament, but rather the operation of prophecy. That is that from time to time, the Spirit manifests his power by giving a prophetic word to a brother, to a sister, to someone in the congregation to speak forth a message or communicate something from God, whether it's with an individual or whether it's with a group in a gathering. So the gift of prophecy is that momentary ability to be enabled by the Holy Spirit to function as God's vocal representative to convey something that God once said. Oftentimes we think of prophecy and we think of it, what, in a predictive sense, right? That's just kind of where our mind goes. And God does know the future. So certainly there is an element to prophecy where God can predict something that's coming in the future. But prophecy is not just limited to predicting the future. Prophecy is just speaking forth a word from God. Sometimes it's a timely word in season, maybe to encourage someone who's weary, maybe to challenge someone who's heading in a wrong direction. Maybe it's a word of guidance or reminder of some spiritual truth or promise. In fact, we'll see when we get to chapter 14, a specific description. 1 Corinthians 14, 3 tells us this of New Testament prophecy. He who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. So how do I know a genuine spiritual New Testament prophecy? It will be characterized by one of those three things. Edification, it will build people up, not tear people down. Edification, exhortation, it will stir somebody up. It will challenge them to step out in action or encourage them or comfort. 
It brings comfort or consoles a person who may be struggling or suffering in some way. Look, prophecy is not the same thing as a teaching or the preaching of a message that's been prepared. It's more of a short, direct statement or two where God gives something to a person that he wants them to utter. And again, I think of Paul in Acts chapter 27 when they're in the midst of a storm on a boat and everything is going crazy. And the Lord speaks through Paul, and Paul says, look, here's what's going to be the outcome. And then he encourages the people what to do to comfort them, and then he instructs them what they're to do in their action to stay in tune with the will of God. And again, personally, oftentimes a prophetic word originates with just a very strong impression that may come upon a person's heart or mind where you just sense God wants you to share something. God wants you to speak something to a person or share something in a meeting that is important and helpful. And again, this is something God can use any person to do. And 1 Corinthians 14 governs prophecy by saying, when a prophet speaks, let others judge, which I think is where the next gift comes into play, because he also mentions verse 10, to another is given the discerning of spirits. Now take notice here. This is not just being a discerning person in all matters. It's the discerning of spirits, not a discerning person. I have found over my years in my Christian walk that sometimes people think they have a gift of discernment. There is no gift of discernment. There's a gift of the discerning of spirits. Sometimes when people think they have a gift of discernment and they want to exercise it all the time, I found sometimes they just have a gift for being a critical person. And they kind of just think they're like the spiritual police among the congregation. And so sometimes they become a little bit of a sin sniffer and kind of think they're God's undercover FBI agent to go around and discern everything about everybody and then tell everybody what God's showing them. Look, this is the discerning of spirits. First John chapter four says, beloved, do not believe every spirit. Test the spirits, whether they are of God. See, we all as Christians having the spirit of truth should have some degree of discernment. That's important. But there's also the need for the protection of the flock of God, where at times there's the discerning of spirits, where the Holy Spirit gives a person the ability to recognize the spirit behind something that's going on. Again, that term discerning there is in the Greek is to separate something in order to examine it and make a distinction. Now, that's important. Because I can tell you this, in the world, there are three types of spirits, you might say, that are always in operation. There's the Holy Spirit of God. There are demonic, unclean spirits. And then there is the human spirit. And sometimes we need the discerning of spirits, a supernatural ability God gives to judge or see what spirit is behind what's going on there whether it's the spirit behind what's being said to distinguish between genuine and false or to sense and discern what's from God and what's really not from God. And this is what the gift of the discerning of spirits does. In Acts chapter 16 in Philippi, as there was a girl following Paul around as they were ministering, this girl kept saying, these are the servants of the most high God. They're the servants of the most high God. Sound like great endorsement. And Paul turned around and rebuked a demonic spirit that was in her saying those things as she was causing distraction by what she was doing. And Paul, I believe, received the discerning of spirits in that moment and realized even though what she's saying may sound spiritual, that is not from the spirit of God. There's a demonic spirit behind that working in a deceptive way. So again, sometimes things happen under the banner of the church or the name of the Holy Spirit that are not genuinely of the Lord's spirit. And this is where the discerning of spirits is a very helpful gift from time to time. Again, we want to be careful, not get like super suspicious all the time, but there's a time for protection, and it's important where the gift of the discerning of spirits comes to help the church. Paul then says, going on, and to another, different kinds of tongues, and to another, the interpretation of tongues. Now, we're going to discuss in great detail in chapter 14 the gift of tongues and how they operate But for simplicity's sake here, the gift of tongues is basically a supernatural enabling from the Holy Spirit to be able to pray to God or praise and worship God in a language that is other than your own that you have not previously learned or studied. So it's a supernatural enablement from the Spirit when the intellect 
is logically unable to keep communicating to God, and God, by an impartation in the power of his spirit, enables a person from their inward being, their inward spirit, to, to kind of go beyond just their logical mind and to carry on in praise or prayer and communication to God in another language that the Holy Spirit is enabling them to operate in. And speaking in tongues is not receiving and sharing a message from God. That's prophecy. He who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. So true speaking in tongues is uttering the praises of God, praying and communicating to God. And he says here, that's why there's also the interpretation of tongues, which again is simply just a supernatural ability to be able to interpret or translate if in a public setting someone should pray or, or praise God in a tongue that God has given to them. The gift of interpretation is to therefore help edify the body so that they can stand in agreement with the praises that were just uttered. And Paul's going to say in 1 Corinthians 14, if it's in a public meeting, these two have to work together. If not, it's just going to cause confusion. And it won't be of profit or benefit. It'll just be chaotic. Because again, if I listen to people speaking in a different language when I'm out at a store, and two people are talking in Persian or Chinese or any other language, Russian, that I don't understand, I get no benefit out of it. It just sounds like gibberish to me. They're having a wonderful conversation, but it doesn't. I can't understand a thing they're saying. Not that I'm supposed to. Maybe I don't know. But it's the same way with the speaking in tongues. If somebody is praying or praising God in an unknown tongue in front of other people, if someone doesn't have the gift of interpretation, it does no value or benefit to others. And we'll see Paul address this again in a whole chapter. He has to really zero in on this to give some real clarity in chapter 14. Paul concludes saying, but one in the same spirit works all these things. Again, notice who's working these things. The spirit. The spirit is working these things, distributing as each one individually as he wills. Again, who's in control of the gifts? The spirit. The spirit's deciding what gift is operated who it's operated through, when it is to be operated and utilized, he is under control of these exercises of the Spirit. Our role, honestly, folks, is simply to believe that these experiences are valid and necessary just as much today for the church as they've always been. And then to seek to just in faith, trust and be open to the Holy Spirit working and manifesting his power through our lives to benefit us from time to time as God's people. Let's stand together.